Hello, Dr. Houchins. Good afternoon. And uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you because uh, I saw your article uh, on uh, Chalk for review and uh, uh, and uh, uh, and especially your experience. You, you pretty much being a teacher, then you went to the administration and you're uh, teaching at the college and you know to uh, train future uh, school superintendent so you has been through all that uh have you ever been on a school board just wonder i have not no i i when i was a district administrator we worked quite closely with uh, our uh, school board members and uh, i regularly attended those meetings and um you know got to know the inner workings of uh, school boards pretty well in that role wow wonderful i mean that's just something i want to know because uh uh, I just, because I don't know anyone uh, has been in that uh, position or from that perspective, uh, just to talk me, same to me that there are something are so uh, oblivious, but uh, uh, they just somehow, they don't pay attention to it. Uh, uh, for example, the, uh, the whole DEI thing, diversity, mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion. And uh, this is just pretty much political indoctrination and they still like hire uh, officers, you know, in many school uh, school corporations. So, uh, how do you make sense of that? Well, I think um, I, I, I think I want to say first of all that I think most of our school board members um, in our public school districts in the United States they. They work very hard uh, in their roles. Mm. They care very much about uh, the students that they uh, are serving in their districts. Um, I think uh, what has generally happened in the past is that most ordinary citizens don't pay much attention right. uh, to what goes on uh, mm. on, the, on the local school board. Uh, in many cases in the past, in a lot of districts, uh, those, um, uh, those board members often run unopposed. Right. They serve many, many terms without any opposition. Right. Um, and so I think what 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 happens there is that those board members, uh, many of whom may have you know full time jobs working in totally different fields, mm -hmm. they wind up deferring to the superintendent, okay. uh, the district administrators uh, about the vast majority of decisions that have to be made uh, in the schools. And that may be because they don't feel like they've got appropriate technical expertise. Uh, to to push back uh, or or ask the right questions, um, but we've just created a kind of uh, a pattern, I think, in a lot of school districts where the school board members uh, generally rubber stamp right. whatever it is that the superintendent asks them to support. Right. Uh, and and I'm sympathetic to why they are uh, that pattern exists, mm -hmm. but of course, what we have now is a very different situation in the United States where. I think uh, due largely to COVID and many of the things that have uh, happened and emerged with COVID, but also with the proliferation of uh, certain left-wing ideologies, mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of curriculum and in student programming, right. uh, through social emotional learning and diversity and inclusion programs. I think uh, parents and the general public are far more aware of what's happening in schools than they've ever been. Right. They're far more concerned about it. Yeah asking school board members tough questions like they've never had to face before right. uh, 
and and I think in a lot of communities are going to be challenging those school board members um, with uh, with opponents uh, in their elections. Uh, yeah. And so the the nature of uh, the the school board uh, member role I think has changed quite a bit in recent years, and right. um, and I think they're no longer able to just simply say, well. The superintendent thought this was a good idea, so this is what we're going to do. Right, right. Yeah, and also, like, at least from uh, my experience at the uh, several school uh, uh, district, and uh, the school board, uh, basically, uh, they don't, I mean, some school board allow the parents to talk, and some even don't allow parents to make a comment. And, uh, but no matter what, uh, the school board just never respond uh, to the parents' concerns. And that is kind of, I think, get a lot of uh, parents uh, upset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here in Kentucky, we, uh, we actually have uh, legislation pending uh, in front of our General Assembly that will actually require school boards to, um, uh, to uh, allow a public comment period at the end of uh, all of their meetings. And uh, this actually came as a surprise to me because in most of the districts I've been associated with, public comment was, uh, was typically uh, right. uh, yeah. permitted. But, but I learned that, especially uh, in, after COVID, there were a number of school districts that um, haven't had a public comment period uh, possibly in two years. Right. Uh, of course, that's completely unacceptable for right. that is funded by taxpayers and is, you know, directly accountable to the people. Right. Like uh, uh, my school district uh, district is a center group school district. The school board basically uh, uh, they, they passed a, a, a policy which uh, basically says that if pa any parents wants to make comment, they have to submit uh, their request uh, to be on the agenda. And uh, uh, most time uh, the school board won't put them on the agenda. So therefore uh, you, you are not allowed basically. So, I mean, it's in, even though they didn't say we don't have uh, open comment, comments, but in effect, they shut off the open comments. And that's, uh, I think also, it's quite, I think quite uh, common in Indiana. And that's why a lot of parents are uh, now focused on the legislatures and trying to pass some kind of policies uh, to change that. And like, it, it makes sense like in, in your case in Kentucky that which shouldn't, you know, just in, in a normal case, it shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem, right? Now that, they, that's right. Yeah. And I, let me trace yeah, it. I think you're right. Yeah. I think those policies in the past that a lot of districts have used that you had to get on the agenda in advance, you know, I think that was used, um, you know, in part to be able to predict how long a, a school board meeting was going to, to run, but, but also if possible to head off, uh, you know, a parent comment by trying to figure out what is the person concerned about and is there some way we can deal with that so that they don't actually have to interact yeah, with. Right school board members. And um, uh, so there's probably some pure intention uh, at the heart of all of that. But the effect of it is is uh, ordinary citizens feeling like they've been uh, disempowered right. and denied a voice in front of, a, a, you know, an elected uh, and publicly accountable body. Right. Because, I mean, there is no basically there's no communication between parents and uh, the school board. 
And uh, I, I did look into the school board policy, the way you want to talk to school board members is that they said that's actually in their policies, uh, they did require parents to follow the chain of commands. So basically you have to talk to a teacher first, then if a teacher doesn't listen, you move on to administrator and then you move on to superintendent, then you move on to school board. But that to me is not right because we elect those school board members, right? They should, they are responsible to us. We should have a communication with them. And now somehow they look at themselves <clears throat> at, at the top of the pot, you know, the, the totem pool, and then you have to go through all that to get to them. Uh, have you run into something like that? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not unusual. Okay. Uh, and, and again, I think there's there's probably a, a good idea that was originally at the heart of that. You know, mm. and, if you've got a problem with your child's teacher and you haven't discussed that with the teacher, right? Uh, by talking to somebody uh, much higher up the chain, uh, you're you're not going directly to the source, and it might be possible to solve that problem with just just good right. direct communication. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, I think I think we've we've now emerged into a time when um, people have to understand that school boards are um, their servants. They are public. Right. They are directly answerable to the people. Uh, and so it may very well be that a school board member um, has to say to someone, uh, have you talked to the teacher or the principal about that? Mm -hmm. And and if the person has not. Uh, then, then maybe the board member is in a is in a position to say, okay, well, listen, you talk to those folks, and then if you're still unsatisfied, you can come back and talk mm -hmm. to me. But, but, but that door has to always be open, right, right? And just as it would be for someone who was a an elected state representative or a member of the city commission, and 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 and, and so forth, you know. Right. Uh, and and I think um, I just think board members more than ever have got to be. Uh, very careful to make sure that they are making themselves as as accessible and as as uh, authentic and as accountable to the people as they possibly can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have seen this a lot in at least. Uh, uh, I live in uh, Greenwood, which is sub suburb of uh, Indianapolis. So there, we have several uh, counties around uh, Indianapolis called Donut Counties, and uh, um, there are. Um, mostly are like middle-class kind of uh, families. So there are, the parents are really, really frustrated because uh, they send the emails, they make phone calls and they couldn't even get to talk to any uh, school board members. And so that become, that's why now we, we see uh, parents' energy now is kind of focused on the legislatures, but as a teachers, I mean, I also have a concern. I mean, uh, there's some, I mean, well, just like you said, there's policies when they made, maybe have good intention, but it could be, have a unintended effect. And, uh, and as teachers, and those actually will come down directly, I mean, eventually get to teachers, right? Um, so, yeah. Um, so I was, in a way, I'm, uh, I don't. I don't think the legislatures can really solve the problem. They may add really maybe add more problem into it. Yeah. But, yeah. 
we're we're in a position now i think where a lot of people are appealing to state legislators because they don't feel like they can get any right. satisfaction or any communication or any justice from their local uh, school boards and right. that's that's a sign that there's been a real breakdown uh, right. in, in the system and um, I, I mean, I think we ought to be looking to our lawmakers to take action to improve transparency mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what is being taught and how it is being taught um, uh, and uh, to uh, to ensure high levels of accountability. But but at the end of the day, I think the the solution that we're looking for here is more democracy right. uh, at the local level. We right. need citizens more engaged, more informed. Uh, and, and, and actively trying to understand what's happening in our schools and make their voices heard right. and make those school board uh, members accountable uh, to, to, the, to the community and to the public in a way that they've not, they've not had to be before. Right, exactly. And uh, 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 your article, uh, I, I know you have several articles on uh, check board review. Uh, so the one kind of caught my attention is that uh, you you basically are uh, how to say that uh, you are fighting against the education establishment. So uh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by education establishment? Right. Well, I'm I'm I've I've found myself having to answer the question uh, many times over the years. Uh, why are you a public school guy right. uh, so often at odds with um, with the public schools? And and that's because I, you know, I've, I'm an advocate for school choice. Right. I'm an advocate for pension reform. I'm an advocate for educational transparency, for curriculum improvement uh, for parents. Right. Uh, and so, you know, what I've what I've really come to say over the years is that I'm I'm not an enemy of of public school teachers, no, and I'm not an enemy even of public schools. Right. Um, I I find myself in conflict with the education establishment, mm -hmm. and that establishment does not represent the voices of most educators. Right. And, and so what I say is the education establishment is really that network of teachers unions and professional associations that represent teachers and administrators and boards of education. And, and there are many great people who work within that establishment. Many of them are personal friends of mine and long, long-standing colleagues. But, but the effect of that education establishment has, in my opinion, uh, over many years, been to defend uh, the status quo mm -hmm. and to defend adult interests. Right. Yeah. in the education system rather than to represent the the voices of the most marginalized students uh and and, and families and right so at the end of the day i say you know that's who i i entered this business uh for in the first place i did not become a public school teacher 25 years ago um because i was so enamored with the infrastructure of public education <laughs> i wanted to help students right and yeah my commitment to students and especially to students of poverty uh, as I've worked in this system over the years, has grown stronger and stronger. And I begin to see in so many ways how the education system itself um, uh, actually makes things like uh, the achievement gap worse. Right. And how in so many ways it keeps kids stuck 
uh, in schools or in systems that are not really in their in their best interest. Right. Yeah. That's who I. That's where I devote my my energy uh, as a, as a guy who's interested in policy and as an educator. Uh, the, those families they don't have a a, a professional association or uh, you know a lobby group in our state capital to represent their interests. That's where I I come into play and it it means that i'm frequently at conflict with people who are friends of mine and people right. yeah I, I appreciate and admire but at the end of the day if there's an issue on the table and it's an issue like school choice for example and i have to side with the education establishment or i have to side with uh children and and parents who need another educational option I'm gonna I'm gonna be against the the establishment and I'm gonna be for those students and parents. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like when I was in uh, private school teaching, and that's I kind of realized that uh, there is a fundamental flaw in our public education system is that uh, people in the adults, the grown-ups in the system, uh, they are not really responsible for the students. Because the whole structure, the you know the, the benefits, the uh, you know the the salary structure is really make you always uh, responsible to the people on top of you, mm -hmm. not on the students. So even the student don't do well, it does not affect you. But if you uh, don't listen to your uh, superior, I mean superiors, and you could get big trouble. Yeah, and it's worse in that respect than it's ever uh, than it's ever been, especially right. as um, sort of left wing ideologies have come to dominate more and more of teacher training and teacher right. development. Uh, uh, how they've seeped into so much of our curriculum. Um, right. There are teachers who are afraid; they're not just afraid to challenge the the um, sort of management of their schools and districts. Um, they're afraid to speak out on public policy issues that would have a direct impact on their own students uh, because they're worried about the professional consequences of right. doing so. And that's that's a that's a really grave concern to me. Right. Yeah. Actually, I uh, uh, I witnessed an incident uh, back to my uh, the, the school I used to teach is that uh, one time uh, a school board member uh, is. Uh, gave us a training on uh, restorative justice. And uh, one of the teachers basically just said something, I me mean, not trying to be, you know, uh, confrontational, but just saying that this does not work. Uh, you know, I mean, it sounds good, right? But in practice, it may not work. And, uh, and uh, our uh, principal actually uh, demand him to apologize uh, to the school board member. And this is just to me, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, the person who is promoting restorative justice and couldn't take <laughs> someone who have different view and demanding apology. They're just like, this is so wrong. Right, right. It's a, it, there's a kind of, um, it's a kind of soft censorship that right. uh, has really come to dominate uh, a lot of the corporate world and, and, and certainly in higher education, we've found many examples of that. And, and sadly, it's sort of seeping into the K-12 world as well. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. ironic sometimes how it, how it comes I out. I know, I mean, uh, especially the during those past two years, the mask mandate and vaccine mandate. And uh, uh, many people, I mean, especially the teachers, they saw that the, the masking does not work, but they are not, they are afraid to speak out. 
because you could get fired for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm aware of, you know, uh, teachers who were told, uh, you know, directly or indirectly, you are not to post anything on social right. media questioning the Board of Education about their masking uh, policy. Um, and and so, you know, that's a direct violation of a teacher's First Amendment rights. But right. I know for a fact that it it happened in more than one district uh, that I'm that I'm familiar with where their 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 First Amendment right to speak out on a public policy issue was was directly threatened by their employer. Yeah. Well, actually, I personally had a had a uh, 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 say uh, uh, incident uh, with my uh, with uh, my school board. Uh, I mean, uh, private school. We have a school board, uh, but the school board was not elected by the parents. It was appointed by the previous school board, and uh, so the school board actually made a decision to uh, increase our uh, tuition by forty percent. And so I was. We didn't know. They didn't tell us. They didn't even. Uh, talk with our teachers just, just made decisions. Basically, you take it or leave it. And, uh, and uh, uh, in the end, uh, a quarter of families left. Um, but I would mean, some parents was uh, asking me about it and they have, I didn't even know. So, um, so I was kind of responding to them. And uh, pretty soon I was called into office and said, don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good example of how um, many of the kinds of problems we're talking about here aren't necessarily fixed by just uh, going to a private school, right? The, right, the, right. the private right. schools themselves are also sometimes uh, subject to these kinds of real issues of transparency uh, and accountability uh, and uh, uh, sensitivity to teacher needs and, and parental concerns. Right. And, uh, and that's just that's why at the end of the day, I you know, school choice is does not fix everything that's wrong with education by a long shot. Right. Uh, there are many, many other policy uh, solutions that we need to to bring to bear in our education system. But I can't think of a single education reform that isn't also made stronger uh, by giving parents the opportunity. Yeah. to opt out uh, if they're unsatisfied with what's happening in their child's school. And so, you know, that's why at the end of the day, I just think our, our entire way of funding education, uh, while it served a noble purpose once upon a time, right. Right. Um, undermine student and family issues. And we need to be looking for policies that promote the idea of funding students rather than systems. Right. Uh, that's the ultimate form of parental empowerment. Yeah. But by doing that, you basically uh, uh, that policy will weaken the, the power of teachers' union, and that's why they they don't they don't like that. They don't. That's right. It, it has the potential to empower teachers and disempower the teachers' unions, right. and that's exactly why they don't they don't like it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I know many teachers. I mean, they really care about students. But I think this, uh, things become more and more difficult for them to actually teach. And now, especially, we have the, the social emo emotional learning are taking a lot of time and also uh, a lot of uh, 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 practices like the restorative justice and all that really causing a lot of trouble for teachers. But of mm -hmm. course, um, 
the teachers unions are not really doing anything to help that. that, that that's right. Yeah. And it puts teachers, it puts ordinary teachers in a really bad uh, kind of situation, you know, right. and, you know, teachers are not trained to be therapists. Right. Uh, they're not they're not trained to to be pastors. Uh, the, the, the dimensions uh, of uh, child development that are often addressed through SEL um, are, are at the end of the day, they're, they're family and, and, and church kinds of issues. And I'm sympathetic to the idea that there are a lot of kids who are not learning uh, social and emotional skills at home mm -hmm. uh, and that the consequences of that are that they come to school and that they right. are ultimately disruptive. But I'm I'm really concerned about um, asking teachers to fill that gap that parents in the community ultimately are supposed to fill right. and the opportunity cost of, right. of doing that, right? Because every time we are spending teachers' time trying to teach kids about self-control or self-discipline, those are things, those are times we're not learning uh, how to read and do math and uh, learn about our history and science and the arts and so forth. And, right. Uh, this yeah. is a, a real concern. It, it is. And if you look at uh, me in the end of what happened in the past 10 years, the, our, we have a, a, like a state uh, standardized test called ISTEP and then now changed into iLearn, different name. Uh, and it's supposed to, to, to see, I mean, to test the fourth graders, eighth graders, and 10th graders. Um, so several years ago, uh, a lot of schools are at like 70, 80 percent people are uh, prof um, proficient in math and uh, um, and uh, language. And uh, last year, uh, only about less than one third uh, student um, uh, passed the standard test. And uh, but the uh, the well. Uh, last December, the the association you're talking about professional association, the association of schools, so public school uh, superintendents, they had their annual meeting, and uh, now on their agenda and in, uh, on their program, uh, here is something. There are three things to talk about. Three themes. One is uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How to you know their best practice and all that. And the second one is social emotional learning. And third one is how to deal with parents uh, at the, the school board meetings. They don't even talk about academic. Right, right. It's a reactive agenda. And uh, it's one that is has drifted so far from the core, from the core mission and, and, and purpose of schools. Yeah. Right. And, and you said you teach, uh, uh, you train, uh, uh, Superintendents as a professor, principals primarily. Yeah, I do yeah. occasionally work with the uh, superintendent program, but okay. most of my students at the university are teachers who are training to become school principals. Oh, good. But do have you seen something like the critical race theory can the snip into? Yes, um, I, you know it's been an interesting conversation uh, here in Kentucky about this. You know because um, when parents will ask. Uh, a, uh, the superintendents, oh, uh, are you, where is this critical race theory right. in our schools, you know, uh, two, two a one, the superintendents all say, oh, we don't, we don't teach right. that. Right. Yeah. 
and, and, and of course, it is true that no one is sitting children down and saying, okay, children, this is critical race theory, and here's what it means, and you should believe in this, you know, it's, right, right. it's actually more insidious than that. Uh, it's the way in which the core assumptions of critical race theory are, um, are influencing and informing the kinds of instructional choices that teachers are making uh, on a regular basis. Right. And the truth is most superintendents don't know uh, how those choices are being made and the ways in which those assumptions of CRT are working their way into classrooms. A lot of principals don't know that either, um, in part because we've done so little work in most of our schools around real curriculum adoption. Uh, and, and that varies from district to district. Uh, I think there are a lot of places where districts are becoming much more um, thoughtful about adopting uh, curricula, which spell out the kinds of instructional materials we're going to use, the kinds of books we're going to read, um, uh, the kinds of learning experiences we're going to offer children. So teachers don't have to make those decisions. They can focus on delivering the curriculum and assessing student progress and making instructional adjustments uh, accordingly. Mm. Uh, and so that's the way I, I try to approach um, the, the, the core issues of critical theory in my own program is to talk to our students about the, the importance of good solid curriculum and how making good curriculum decisions actually advances the cause of, of equity. We spend so much time uh, focused on racial differences that uh, I think we actually undermine good policies and practices that have the the capacity to close the achievement gap. Right. Um, and when I and that and I I use the term equity. It's a, it's a it's a fundamental pillar in our uh, principal preparation program here at this university. But wow. when I approach the equ equity issue, I say it's an it's a lens through which we should look at all of our leadership decisions that we're making as school administrators. We should ask ourselves with every policy, every decision that we're making, how does this affect our most vulnerable population okay. within okay. our school? And, and then we, and then we, that it doesn't mean that every decision has an equity dimension, but we ought to be looking at every uh, decision through that lens so that we can give every student an opportunity to be successful. What we should not do is look at equity as an as an as an outcome variable, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot look at every disparity across groups right, right. and conclude that that in and of itself is because of oppression or uh, structures within the school that may be causing that. There could be those structures, and we ought to be sensitive to that. Right. The problem with critical race theory. As, as with critical theory in general, right. is it assumes that every difference in group outcome right. is because of some oppressive structure. Yep. And that's simply not, not true, and it's not helpful no. for us to actually do our jobs better. Right. And also, uh, I know, uh, uh, well, especially in, uh, in California, and the way they deal with equity is basically uh, artificially kind of uh, pushing the high achievers down so that uh, to reduce the gap. Instead of bringing the uh, people up, they are going to push people down. Um, so recently in San Francisco, they have recall, right? 
of those three uh, board members. Uh, one of the things they did is, uh, or at least they tried to do is to, uh, they have a very uh, good public high school. So in the past you have to take tests and all that. And they do have some kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of affirmative action type of things um, to, um, you know, to, um, well, even that actually is some, become some form of uh, discrimination because they just look at how many Asians should be there, how many Blacks should be there. And then, so therefore the end result that the Asian student has to uh, have higher school than the other uh, races. Um, but even that, the, the school board are not happy with that. They want to get rid of the test. So everything is based on a kind of uh, a lottery kind of system. And so that is the wrong way to, to reduce, mean, to, to reduce the gap or narrow the gap. Yeah, but it's consistent with some of the more insidious uh, assumptions and strategies of this whole sort of anti-racism ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Max Kendi, who's one of the big names yeah. with this movement, you know, he's explicit about that, is that yeah. the, he says the answer to past discrimination yeah. is, is current, is, is discriminating now. And, and so you see this actually in, in with schools and districts actively discriminating against high achieving students, right. discriminating against Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there's, where is the, where is the equity and the justice in, in, in that? Okay, right, uh, it right. completely turns our core American principles about equality of opportunity uh, for all upside down. Right. And also uh, that's something I, I always trying to figure out, uh, like, uh, the uh, uh, Abraham Kennedy's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, that was a recommend uh, reading for high school students, teachers, and parents in our school district. That was uh, uh, at least a year ago. Um, so the, uh, they, later on, they took, took that page out from their website. Um, but uh, I wonder uh, whether or not those uh, superintendents read that book. Because if if anyone read that book, it should in you you shouldn't allow that book. I mean, you shouldn't recommend that book. And also, what uh, besides what you said there, he says like uh, basically he's going to use racial discrimination to solve the past discrimination, and not only the past. They're going to use future uh, mm -hmm. racial discrimination to solve the current racial discrimination. It's, mm -hmm. This is kind of more or less like the dictatorship of the you know proletariat in, in communist uh, countries but but also he said that one of a uh, uh, one of paragraph there he said that uh, capitalism is racist and racism uh, is capitalist and they're basically saying this too I mean if you want to get rid of racism you have to get rid of capitalism and that, to me, that just uh, basically promoting or advocating a communist revolution. But I just wonder whether or not any superintendent have to read that book. Read that book. Yeah, it's it's a wonder to me how anyone, uh, any reasonable person, can read uh, some of that material and 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 not be appealed by its, its implications. Right. Uh, 
and, and, and maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a sign of how poorly uh, we have educated, uh, you know, a, a generation of people in the principles of uh, American history and, and uh, of our founding and of the Cold War and, and you know, of the genocide right. uh, were, that has been committed by Marxist regimes right. uh, over the last hundred years. Uh, but uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, there is no way the logical conclusion of the material that you read in Kindy yeah. and uh, of, of much of the critical race theory uh, academic work. Right is is uh is um, uh, totalitarianism right it, it exactly logical conclusion uh of uh, of their um uh, of their their line of thinking and their assumptions and i think for many on the far left it they're they they understand what they are doing uh their their goal isn't simply to cause us to think more deeply about issues of race because mm. we we certainly do need to be doing that right in this country their their goal is actually to to destroy uh, the American political system right. as we come to know it, and to destroy our economic system as right. we know it, uh, and to uh, to put it all within the control of the the technical experts that they deem to be worthy to rule us right, all. Right, right, right. I don't yeah. think that's an exaggeration at all. That that no, is yeah, that. me like you said. I mean, he actually have a paragraph there talking about uh, establish a department of what they called anti-racist. Yes, yes, he does. And, and that department has the power basically to to monitor any public offic officials, not only their action, but also their uh, their talk and their thoughts. That's right. That's just like secret, po uh, secret police. Right. I mean, yeah. what in his mind, I mean, what, what, how could he say the something? Only the only parallels we have for this in our in, in living memory are, you know, the Soviet Politburo and right. the, and the mechanisms of the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, those are the direct parallels to the kinds of stuff that is being advocated there. Right, and also the same tactic. Like, if you actually um, somehow you still have those uh, racist thoughts, that you have to go through some kind of reeducation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is. Exactly, I mean, what happened in in the former Soviet Union and in communist China. Right. That's Chairman Mao's dream, right? Right, but the, the things like, I still don't understand is, I mean, a lot of uh, school corporations actually hired him, paid mm -hmm. him to, to talk to the teachers. Mm -hmm. That part yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, and I think I think probably in, in, initially there there was a lot of well-intended uh, ignorance on their part, you know, because I mean, look, we know that the the racial achievement gap in student uh, in student learning is right. longstanding and it's shameful. It is right. uh, it is a terrible indictment of our educational system. Right. How many children of color uh, come out of our educational system uh, unable to read and do basic math? Yep. Um, so we know this is a fundamental problem, and right. I think educators have been desperate to sort of look for tools, ideas, perspectives that would help us in some way do better right. uh, by our uh, minority students. Uh, and I think I think in you know in that desperation, they they turned to um, you know charlatans like like Kendi and Robin mm -hmm. D'Angelo and some of these other folks uh, looking for answers. Right. Um, 
and, and they found, I think, initially that that stuff played really well uh, with a certain kind of uh, cultural elite uh, in our communities and, right. and, and in the larger world um, without really looking at the implications of what they were doing uh, and what these authors were, nice. were really saying hmm. about America and about our communities. And so right, right, right. hopefully uh, conversations like the one you're having right now and, and the work of a lot of activist parents have um, have made school districts and district leaders much more conscious of just how dangerous some of this stuff is, and, and maybe they're making more thoughtful decisions about it now. Right. Hopefully that that would happen. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I mean, and you're going to see uh, not a, not only stu students will be harmed, but also the teachers will be harmed too. Uh, if we allow this kind of ideology to spread. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I think uh, uh, there are also like uh, foundations out there like uh, uh, Bill Gates and uh, and also the uh, Zuckerberg foundations. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they, they are also kind of behind uh, all, all of this. They give a lot of money. Um, so uh, uh, do you know what, I mean, where the money come from for hiring like DEI officers? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the, a lot of that uh, comes from uh, the general education fund and a lot of, uh, of the, um, uh, the school districts. Uh, in some cases, they may be able to um, utilize certain federal funds for hiring uh, those kinds of uh, kinds of positions. Um, you know, our schools have, it seems like for years, been awash in a lot of federal grant money. Uh, right now, there's tons of uh, money that is supposed to be uh, going to try to uh, alleviate the uh, learning gaps caused mm -hmm. by COVID uh, that are being spent in all manner of ways in schools and districts not really related to COVID. And I imagine some of those federal monies are, are being used to hire personnel. Uh, in some cases, maybe personnel who are connected okay. to various diversity initiatives. Right. I look at the, at least in the end, uh, um, there is a, I mean, many uh, school district has this DI officer and they're paid about uh, $90,000 per year, which is almost more than twice of uh, entrance, uh, entrance level teachers. And, uh, uh, and then uh, even our, uh, uh, Indianapolis public school library is also hiring uh, someone like that. And then our state government has a chief DI officer who got, uh, who was, uh, who was highest paid uh, employee of our state government. And uh, I, I always wonder like where did that money come from just to have those positions? I mean, if you want to address, you know, the Ichim gap and all that, that as a teachers, I think the most obvious way is to get more teachers. And so you have a small class size. I mean, when you have like 30 students, there's very hard to teach, especially at the younger age, right? I mean, high schools, maybe uh, you could handle that. Even that is kind of hard, but the younger age, you know, elementary school, middle school, when you got more than 30 people in your class, I mean, your, your academics will, will suffer no matter how good a teacher you are. Mm -hmm. 
but they, they never address that. They never I mean every time when say when they're trying to get more money uh, from the state, they will use that. Mm -hmm. But once they got money, that's not the things they do. They'll mm -hmm. spend that on something else. Right, right. Yes. And, and this is one of the things that I mean, we've talked a lot in the last year about the need for more academic transparency. Mm -hmm. So we need to know what, we need to understand more about uh, you know what is being taught in our classrooms and how. But there's also a real need for more financial transparency. Right. And 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 there are mechanisms. It's 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 actually much trickier to have a meaningful financial transparency in education than people would think. Oh, wow. But it is possible to have more transparency, and this is one of the things that we need to be asking for. Right, right. Because these sorts of decisions that are being made, uh, you know, directly speak to how are our public resources being used. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, so. Uh, thank you for your time. I just give you a last question. Okay, uh, so uh, how can we uh, save our public education? Because if we don't do anything, uh, people, I mean, parents will pull the kids out of public education. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's a multi-pronged approach that needs to happen right now, and I think part of it is that. Um, we need to take all of this energy that was generated uh, with parent frustration over right. uh, the potential of critical race theory being taught in our schools, over um, the mask That's mandate, right. yeah. vaccine mandate, yeah. over vaccines. All of that energy needs to be translated into permanent structures of parent empowerment, right? So mm -hmm. every, every community needs some kind of parent organization who's whose purpose is to, um, is to uh, keep parents informed about what is happening in schools mm -hmm. and to keep parents engaged in school governance. Right. Uh, and potentially to, uh, to recruit and train and, uh, and run campaigns to elect different people to local school board positions. Right, right. Uh, I, I think it would be healthy uh, for every district to have contested school board elections every 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 cycle, uh, there right, should right, right. Be elections because that makes the whole system more accountable. It it forces board members and the public to talk about local education issues, uh, and and I think that 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 if that happens, then uh, that will be the the, the greatest fruit that we might see grow from the difficulties and conflict between parents and the schools over over the last two years. And, and they need to be permanent structures. We need to have uh, organizations, parent and citizen organizations in every community that are essentially watchdog groups. Right, right, right. And they, 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 they represent parental voices. They challenge the, the status quo. Uh, they, they seek to uh, make the schools accountable and transparent. And, uh, our goal. Mm -hmm. Sorry. No I need. Uh, give me one second. No worries. Someone is quite persistent. Okay. All right. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I think. It, that is uh, 
I totally agree with you on that because the parents need to uh, take in charge. And they, after all, it's the parents' responsibility to raise their children, right? To educate their children. I mean, they can delegate to teachers like us, but still they are in charge. But right now, uh, you probably have seen that uh, a lot of teachers, if, especially young teachers, think that they are in charge mm -hmm. instead of parents. And they don't want parents uh, to, you know, to get involved. Right. And we've got to turn that on its uh, upside down. We've got to uh, we've got to change the whole paradigm of how schools work and what they're for. We need to promote the idea that parents are the first and primary educators of their children. Right. Schools exist to support parents in that work Amen. of forming children to become virtuous men and women. That's the other piece I think that's missing is that right. schools exist not just to teach basic academic skills or to train people to be good uh, workers someday, but to form them into virtuous men and women. Uh, right. And that's the first apparent responsibility. And secondly, it's the school to support them in that endeavor. Right. And also part of that is to teach them how to think for themselves uh, instead of political indoctrination actually really help them and this sometimes i think uh, the people playing the word game like critical thinking is good right but critical theory is not <laughs> but sometimes we there is a the, how they kind of uh, uh hijack the meaning of words and yeah but still like i, I definitely agree with you not just being uh, not just academics, not just be a good, uh, find a good job or the job, uh, job skills, but also to be a, 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 a good citizen uh, and, uh, and a good, you know, um, a, a good member of the community, right? You Absolutely. still have a, we need to t teach that virtue on that. But uh, now that's not happening. It's just uh, more, uh, political indoctrination than actually teaching. And and the teachers, I mean, I know a lot of teachers don't like it. It's like, right now they're still afraid to, to speak out. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I really it's appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I hope I can talk to you more because I know I can learn a lot from you. You still have a lot and we just kind of you know, way scratch the surface. You have so many, so many years experience in this field. Well, you keep up the good work. We'll we'll keep partnering together. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye bye.